0: There's a funny memory that I have, 1985, I don't know, I was mailing out 50 different locations to do a mall test, and Mary Schaefer walked over to me and she said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm counting out 100 questionnaires, I've got to mail 100 questionnaires with some supervisor instructions to 50 locations, and, you know, it would probably take me three or four hours to do all that. She said, is this one of the stacks of the 100 Questionnaires, And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. She went over, she grabbed a scale, she weighed the 100 questionnaires. She said, you're not sending 100 questionnaires, you're sending 17 pounds. And the takeaway for me that stuck with me is there's always a better way to do it, right? And instead of counting them out, all I had to do was weigh them. She's right, okay? And it saved me hours and hours to do that. So it kind of stuck with me that... You know, if you're doing something the same way a year and a half ago, there's probably a better way.
1: Marketing research has evolved considerably in the last 35 years. Today we'll have the opportunity to talk to someone who's experienced that firsthand from door-to-door paper surveys to quick-turn online methods of today. He'll be sharing career advice from his 35-year career. He'll talk about the importance of volunteering at outside organizations, given that he was the former president of the Market Research Association. And we'll share some important stories about the importance of change and adapting to change in the world we live in today. This is Digging for Insights, the marketing research podcast for insights professionals and businesses looking to deeply understand their customers so they can grow. I'm Steven Griffiths, a Fortune 500 corporate researcher. Join me as we talk with experts about inspiring case studies, career advice, and research methods that will lead to growth. My guest today is Merrill Dubrow, who is the CEO of Mark Research. With 35 years of experience, I'm super excited to have him on the call. Merrill, welcome.
0: Stephen, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be on the podcast today.
1: I want to start off by talking a bit about your career. What are some of the couple biggest decisions that you had to make as you went from you know starting off in the industry to being a CEO of Mark Research today?
0: Sure, happy to. So my career, as you said, has spanned 35 years. I started as an interviewer even way back in the day where i did not just telephone interviewing not just mall intercepts where um i'm sure some of the listeners are like i don't even go to a mall anymore but back in the day they had gigantic malls and we had interviewers who would stop them and do surveys right then and there on paper and pencil i also started and so old that i did door-to-door interviewing and um Yeah. So I I did that. And then I worked for a company called Fieldfax International, as well as six other companies. And as we discussed, spanning about 35 years. And each of my positions I had some tremendous learning. So, you know, feel facts. I I really learned project management and got involved with the industry at a company called CRC information. I really started to hone in on my sales ability. Then I went to phone lab where I became president of a company. So I really got into financials from there. I went to Elric and lavage and really built a the New York office for Elric and Lavage that we flunked geography. It was actually in Jersey, but I, I really honed in on my leadership skills. And then I went to bizrate.com, which I was going to, uh, I was there for a few years. And then I went to Harrison interactive and really got into team building and what I'll call sales management and built arguably one of the best sales teams um, I'd ever been around in my entire career. And then came to, came to Mark and really honed in on used all of those skills, but really Use my entrepreneurial spirit as well. So it's, it's, I've had seven jobs. I've really, each of them, I think, was a building block to where I am today. And I think I'd love to say that that was planned, Stephen, but it really wasn't. Some of that was really, it just happened by accident. It was haphazard. You know, my dad was a CFO of a large company and he was a business executive. And I always wanted to in his footsteps and, and be as good as he was. And then, you know, as I get into it, I, I think I'd be happy being half as good as he is. So, you know, each of those jobs, I think not only taught me something, but I, my dad always said, look, when an opportunity presents itself, you got to do two things. Number one, recognize it's an opportunity. And number two, do something about it. And for my career. I moved around a lot. I mean, mostly on the East Coast, but I moved from Boston to Connecticut, back to Boston, to Philly, to South Jersey, to North Jersey, back to Boston, and then ultimately to Dallas, where I'll, where I'll always have a home. And I, I did those. I think looking back on my career, that was maybe the best decision, which was I, I, I didn't put limitations, Stephen, on geography. And I have a number of friends who basically, you know, even today, They're looking for a job and, well, I want to stay in this particular city or I want to stay in this particular geography. I never did that, and I think it really helped my career and propel it a lot further than it would have been if I was just in one city and wanted to stay in one geography.
1: And bring me back to what that decision was like. So I believe, were they hiring specifically for a CEO at Mark Research at the time? And what's it like to be interviewed and to look at becoming a CEO of a company?
0: Well, I'd I'd been a CEO of a company prior, um, but yes, uh, the company Mark Research was was public, and then Omnicom bought them in 1999 um, with another company called TargetBase, and they decided that they needed a leadership change, so they were looking for a, a CEO. And as luck would have it, my name made the list two different lists that they had, and the interviewing process was pretty thorough. It was in New York, it was in Boston, it was in Texas, and over a Period of time, it was an exciting opportunity for myself and the family. I had two young kids at the time, and thought that the timing was was right to move. You know, fifteen hundred or seventeen hundred miles west.
1: I'm curious, just in terms of career advice. You know, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast earlier in their career for marketing or consumer insights or owning their own business. You've mentioned you know flexibility for where you want to live. That's one piece of career advice. Is there any other career advice you'd Share with you know upcoming professionals of today.
0: Yeah, I, I think that well, there's probably a lot. That's probably a couple hours, but <laughs>
1: sure. I, I think
0: for me, early on in your career, I think too many people go to a job because it's got the it's 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 got the highest salary, and I think that's the wrong I think that's the wrong strategy and the wrong move. And I'll tell you why, in my opinion, uh, number one, it, it should be all about your boss. It should be about is your boss gonna take interest in your career? Are they gonna teach you? Are they gonna mentor you? You know, early on in your career, you're kind of in this dazed and confused state. And even though you may have gotten a four-o in college and went to a phenomenal college or graduated from an MSMR program, you still don't have all of the knowledge and the wherewithal that you need to be successful and really hit the ground running. So to me it's it's not about the largest salary, the biggest salary. It's more about going to the right company, having the right boss, working on the right projects, gaining and building that foundation and using that as a springboard for later in your career. And I think too many people take jobs for you know, that extra three or $4,000 and they sorely, you know, make that mistake. And then they find themselves 12 or 16 months later looking for another job. And I don't think they allow themselves to learn everything they can from, from a particular job if they do that. So that would be the first piece of advice that I would strongly suggest. And I would say pay your due, you know, understand that companies have politics, understand that you got to come in, you got to pay attention, you got to what I'll call connect the dots when something doesn't make sense, you know, ask the right person, the right question. And, you know, be careful on on who you comment to and how you comment, because it can ruffle feathers for sure. So those are a few things. And obviously, I got lucky in my career, I got involved in a lot of different associations, and that really has spring used that as a springboard to launch my career because, you know, when I was involved with the MRA and the Boston chapter, the AMA, you got involved with, if you wanted to hone in on your writing skills, you would write the newsletter. If you wanted to hone in on your sales skills, you would deal with sponsorship. Or if you wanted to meet people, you would go into membership. So if you wanted to enhance your leadership abilities, you'd be a president of the association like I was. And I think I would suggest that people get involved with associations and it, it and it really can help drive your career and it can also help you network which can really be a benefit throughout your entire career and I think too many people don't do that use that to your to to their advantage.
1: Yeah, wow, great perspective. Totally agree. This is a topic we could talk on for quite a while, but I think for you've sure. shared some really important uh nuggets there that people will be able to think through transitioning a little bit into uh, some of your um, experience, you know, 35 years in the industry, things have changed a lot, as you alluded to, from door to door to more online today. Could you talk through what are some of the big pivotal changes you've seen in the marketing research industry of the last 35 years?
0: Yeah. So everything is quicker, right? Clients want data quicker. They want it for a reasonable price. They want to make sure that they can drive insight for their business and they got to do it, you know, yesterday isn't even quick enough. So, you know, because I'm old, I have lots of gray hairs to prove it. The reality is, you know, we started with paper surveys during my career. We then went to phone, we then went to online, and then we went to, you know, a lot of mobile as well. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see what's next, but probably AI will be next and, and integrate within the insights community as well. So I think that's been in the natural progression, but everything is a lot faster. So whether it's translations, whether it's coding, you used to code them on paper, then you did them online, now it's with AI. I mean, there's just a lot of changes that have really, really happened. But that doesn't mean that, you know, phone has gone away a hundred percent. I mean, I remember at the ARF, a gentleman named Gordon Black pounded on the desk during a, a, a keynote presentation and said, okay, online is here, online is here, online is here, and phone is dead. Phone is less, but it's not dead. I mean, there's still a lot of companies that do a tremendous amount of phone research. There's still a lot of political research that's done on the phone. And I think that it's it's less, and people use that when they're comfortable and when they think it makes the most sense. But I think the speed right now and a lot of do-it-yourself product right now are really you know, you've got a lot of platforms out there like Zappy Store that have really built some do-it-yourself platforms that clients can pick and choose what they want. They can get answers quickly. They can move their business forward at a reasonable price. And that's really, really, really what they want in today's market. You know, the client, the clients really have changed over time. Um, and our business has changed as well because, you know, our company, which started in 1965, was really built on large assessor projects. So assessor is a forecasting tool. So you'd have a large project for four months, five months, you charge a half million dollars. Well, most clients don't want to wait six six months these days for data and to get back what they should do and how they should do it and integrate that in their business. So those have morphed into much smaller projects, much quicker projects to drive the insight that I mentioned earlier. So I mean, everything has changed. I mean, even stuff from three years ago has changed. But over over my career, it's changed tremendously.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. You know, I think it's easy looking back to think those are easy changes, right? Like, well, of course, we're going to move online. Of course, we're going to move to mobile. Are there any experiences that you can think of, of maybe pushback in the industry or one of those transitions that was actually pretty hard for a lot of people to accept?
0: Yeah, all of them. Change change isn't (laughs) easy. I mean, well, it's funny, Stephen, but change, you know, change is not easy for a lot of people, right? I mean, Change is inevitable, and there's a famous quote: "Change is inevitable, growth is optional." But change is not easy for a lot of people. People want to do things the way that they've always done it. I have to guard against that here. And if from a from a technology standpoint, if you're doing something, you know, if you're doing something the same way even two years ago, a year and a half ago is probably a better way. You know, there's a there's a funny memory that I have in nineteen wow nineteen eighty five from Marianne Schaefer. I was back in the day, I worked for a company called uh, QuickTest. And we had about, I don't know, I was mailing out, FedExing out 50 different locations to do a mall test. And Marian Schaefer walked over to me and she said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm counting out 100 questionnaires. I've got to mail 100 questionnaires with some supervisor instructions to 50 locations. And, you know, it would probably take me three or four hours to do all that. She said, is this one of the stacks of the 100 questionnaires. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. She went over, she grabbed a scale, she weighed the hundred questionnaires. She said, you're not sending a hundred questionnaires, you're sending 17 pounds of paper. And you know, it put things into perspective. I didn't realize what she was doing. I thought she was crazy at the time. But (laughs) what she really was saying, and the takeaway for me that stuck with me is there's always a better way to do it, right? So Mm. if I had all these questionnaires that were printed out at Kinko's or somewhere else, And instead of counting them out, all I had to do was weigh them. She's right, okay? And it saved me hours and hours to do that. So it's kind of stuck with me that there's so many different things in terms of your business to save time, to save money. And ultimately, it goes right to the bottom line.
1: That's a great point. It sounds like that experimentation mindset has been key as you've gone throughout your career and even probably at Mark Research, right? Where you're probably trying to evolve your business model and the tools you use to to stay up to date with the times.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I had this kind of dream years ago that I wanted to generate revenue in my sleep. So we built a number of do-it-yourself products that have really um, I think met client demands and really allowed them to utilize these tools very timely and drive insight again at a very, very reasonable price, but ridiculously fast. I mean, we're testing concepts now that normally would that still take companies three or four weeks to do. We do them and get data back to our clients and allow them to make decisions in less than 36 hours. And we have great partners doing that, working with us right now. It's, it's very impressive and shocking how quick this, that we can that we can turn around things. Uh,
1: well, that's great. As someone who loves to get data back quickly when I commission projects, stuff like that is very exciting for sure. 36 yeah. hour turnaround, <laughs> that's that's what we like to see, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously it depends on the complexity and lots of factors, but the faster is uh, typically better. I'm curious, you mentioned earlier the AI, artificial intelligence you see as being the future. Any thoughts for what that might look like for the industry?
0: You know that's a good question. I I think it's it's a little bit of a question mark right now. I think everybody's kind of racing to see what it's going to look like, how they're going to be able to move that forward, what the deliverable is, how can clients um, once they get that deliverable integrated into their enterprise? I think it's a little bit of wait and see. If I had to guess the next 16 months or so will really kind of form what that looks like. I think that it's on every you know, if you go to any conference, AI is definitely the hot topic these days. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I don't, I'm not so sure that anybody has figured it out 100% at this second. I know there's a lot of companies that are testing it, trying to figure it out. And it'll be definitely interesting to see what happens. Yeah.
1: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I love your perspective on change and the ability to move through it. I do think, you know, change is happening at an even faster pace than before. And when you're in the middle of it, it does seem ridiculously hard. Um, oh, yeah. And sometimes it requires working differently altogether, right? As you mentioned, and not just doing, working harder at what you're doing already. Absolutely, for sure. Great. So I'd love to, uh, you know, shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, public engagement. You know, as you alluded to earlier, being a part of national associations has been a big part of growing your career. I'd love to hear about, you know, you mentioned the MRA and some of the other things that you've done to connect outside of your company as part of your career. And love to hear about some of the organizations and I think a blog and a few things are in there as well.
0: Yeah. So about, um, oh, maybe 13 years ago or so, a number of the well, number of the staff had come to me and said, "Hey, I think you should write a blog." And I said, "No." And then they came at it a different way, and it was you know, Joan Treisman and Christopher Dalian and a few other folks, Frank Summers, and said, "Well, look, you always ask us to trust you, and we do, and you're usually right. We're asking you to trust us. This will be good for the company. It'll be good for your brand. You tend to look at things a little bit different." you tend to be pretty opinionated. And they were stroking my ego and said, well, you tend to be right on a lot of things. I think you should write a blog. So I did. I wrote it three times a week for 10 years, fairly successful. We got an average about 15 comments on each post. I posted Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We got about 1200 hits a week. And it takes somebody who's extremely disciplined, to To be able to do that. I didn't have a lot of guest writers. I didn't have any ghost writers. I wrote everything. Because wow. p- people who know my personality could tell if I wrote it or not. And it was very Seinfeld-esque, Stephen. So what did you have for dinner? I had Chinese food last night. Okay, that's a blog. You got delayed on a plane yesterday, right, Stephen? That's a blog. So I wrote about three or four things, and you know, like my luggage kept getting lost. I don't know why there's not a GPS tracking in my luggage. And stuff like that, and I and I wrote about a lot of these things, and actually a number of them were put into play, and they came out as businesses years later, which was kind of interesting. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, I think a blog is great for the time, and I just you know after ten years, it, it kind of thought I wanted to take a little bit of a break and and let life catch up a little bit, and then see what was next and. So I think that's one aspect of it. Obviously, I think getting involved in associations is so important. Early on in my career, it was about honing into my skills. The first time I presented was in Nashville, Tennessee at the Opera Land Hotel. And back in the day, you may not even know what these are, Stephen, but good old index cards. We would write our notes on those. And I was visibly shaking in front of the audience. And with, you know, it was almost like I was fanning myself with the index cards and my voice was cracking. And I knew that if you wanted to move your career forward, you really had to be a good, if not great presenter, communicator, because I believe everybody is in sales. So whether you're selling a product or a service, okay, fine. But you're going to have to sell yourself on a job interview or you're going to have to sell your idea to colleagues or your boss. Everybody, in my opinion, is in sales. And the AMA and the MRA and a number of associations really allowed me to hone in on my skills and get better. Later in my career, and I've been on a lot of boards, it was all about giving something back to this industry that frankly has given me something back. I mean, I have a n- number of national awards in my office, you know, lifetime achievement awards for the for the research community and, and a bunch of other stuff. And to me now it's all about giving something back. So Steve Schlesinger and myself, we chair CEO summits for the Insights Association that have become very, very successful. We started what's called the YPG, which is a young professional grant over at the at QRCA, which allows people that are under 35 to go to conferences, 15 or 20 young professionals for free. Um, We've just started a lot of different things and continue to give something back. When you're as old as me, that's kind of what you want to do at the end of your career. And I, I think getting involved allows you to meet so many people, network with so many individuals from so many different verticals, different companies that I think it really can take your career and, and take it beyond anything that you want, because getting different perspectives from all different folks, whether they're located on the East Coast, West Coast, doesn't really matter, is really valuable. And it was valuable for me. I mean, I'm a professional connector. On LinkedIn, I have almost 27,000 connections. Wow. Um, that's a lot. I mean, they shut you down at 30,000. So I'm very aware of who I connect to these days, because eventually they're going to shut me down. But you know that's a lot of connections and i think it's important to to have connections for these reasons number 1 if you're if you need something from the industry if you want a different perspective if you want to if you need a reference from somebody if somebody sends me a resume and i know somebody at a company they used to work for it's it's valuable to get a little bit perspective so i know about the person before i meet with them and i i think if you don't have those deep contacts, I think, it limits your ability down the road. And for me, um, you know, I've been I've been very, very lucky and very fortunate to have a lot of contacts and people who I've worked with that I've always stayed in touch with. So it's really worked to my advantage.
1: Wow. Well, and I've certainly seen connections be a big um, influence in my life as well, for sure. I mean, different decisions, you need some input, need some advice and having people who have those similar experiences to give that advice is, has been incredible. I do want to finish up, you know, you mentioned did the blog for 10 years, you've been with associations. I know you recently started a podcast. Can you talk to us about what your plan is there and what kind of podcast it is?
0: I decided to have a podcast this year. It's called On the Mark. Mark Research, On the Mark means, you know. I think spot on. And what I want to do is have and committed to having fifty-six podcasts this year. So you could say, okay, why why fifty-six? Well, because we've been in business for fifty-six years. That's why. Mark Research has been around since nineteen sixty-five. It's our fifty-sixth year in business. I wanted one for every year. And and I've had people who are all different walks of life. So I've had uh, my BFF, Steve Schlesinger, who I think uh, runs the largest qualitative company in the world, and is just such an entrepreneur and such energy and passion. It was important for me to have him be the first. And Melanie Cartwright, who's the CEO of the Insights Association, a good friend of mine, just has an amazing thought process. And you know, I've had researchers like Jamie Guntry and Merrill Merrill Chagall, who who's the president of Chagall Research, who's been around and, and was president of the Insight, well, president of the MRA back in the day. And I had just. People I've met along the way, so I had Leslie Goodell, who's a sportscaster for 20-something years at Comcast in Philadelphia, who I met many, many, many years ago. I've got a couple of big ones coming up with Lenny Murphy, who's just a, an authority in the Insights community and just somebody who's really has his pulse on on. You know, what's going on? And then a woman named Anita Watkins, who's over at Cantar, who I think is the most important qualitative research in the world. She probably has about 900 or so moderators that report into her at Cantar. Just an amazing individual. Yeah, that's what the podcast is about.
1: Wow. Well, that's good for you for switching to that. I know I find podcasts, obviously I'm biased to be pretty exciting and a way to consume something when you're on the go, which I think it has a lot of value and benefit. So I know I've listened to several of those episodes and looking forward to listening to more.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate
1: it. As others want to reach out or connect with you, what's the best way for people to do so? Uh, they can send me an email, Merrill M-E-R-R-I-L-L dot dubro d u b R O W at Mark with a C research dot com or feel free to call me on my cell. I'll respond to every every email or every call, 214-493-6569. six 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 nine. I'm in the office early I start every day at about six fifteen AM
0: Uh, they can send me an email, Merrill M-E-R-R-I-L-L dot dubro d u b R O W at Mark with a C research dot com or feel free to call me on my cell. I'll respond to every every email or every call, 214-493-6569. six 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 six
1: six 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 nine. I'm in the office early I start every day at about six fifteen AM and easy, easy to find. That's for sure. Well, that's wonderful. And I can definitely include that information on the show notes for this podcast as well. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Well, my guest today has been Meryl Dubrow, the CEO of Mark Research. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. And that concludes my interview with Meryl Dubrow, the CEO of Mark Research. For me, there were at least six things that I took away from that conversation with Merrill. The first was in terms of career suggestions. Merrill specifically mentioned how being location agnostic was really important for his career. When possible, his ability to change from city to city and eventually move to Texas for that CEO position allowed him to have a lot of career opportunities he wouldn't have had otherwise. His second suggestion was talking about politics, that you can't just ignore those. You got to think about who you're talking with, how you're sharing your ideas, and being sensitive of other people's feelings and working through the politics of an organization. His third suggestion, which he mentioned quite a number of times, was the opportunity to get involved in professional organizations. For him, that was the Market Research Association and the current insights association but i think the same lesson applies to all of us for how do we get more involved externally his fourth suggestion was about change i love the story he told about rather than counting out 100 surveys you're weighing them and although that's a, a basic example from 1985 the same idea applies to everything how can we get better at what we do already and merrill's good suggestion was if you're doing the same things you did 18 months ago there's probably a better way to do them now And fifth, everything you do is sales. Whether you're selling your own ideas, your recommendations, the ability to present effectively is a really important career trait. And finally, the sixth takeaway for me was the importance of AI or artificial intelligence. Clearly, it's a big up-and-coming trend across a number of industries today, and I look forward to having guests on the show in the future who can talk more in-depth about artificial intelligence and AI. If you have a chance and you're on iTunes um, or Apple podcasts, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast. And as with anything, you can go to diggingforinsights.com in order to get more information on this specific episode. Until next time, I'm wishing you the best as you dig for insights that will grow your career and your business.